At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Who am I and why am I here? This is a question that humanity has been seeking to answer since the very beginning. We are seekers by nature trying to answer these two great questions. Who am I and why am I here? You see, when you see a video of someone jumping out of an airplane or a video of someone scaling a mountain, it's probably because they're trying to answer those two questions. Who am I and why am I here? When you see someone devote themselves to their work or start their own business, when you see someone buy a new house or change their wardrobe, when someone joins the military or moves to a different state or country or runs for political office, it's likely because they're trying to answer the question, Who am I and why am I here? When someone tattoos their body or learns to play an instrument, it's because they're trying to answer these two questions. When someone checks and rechecks how many likes their recent post received, it's probably because they're trying to answer the question, who am I and why am I here? As we get married and have kids and we grow older, we're constantly asking, who am I and why am I here? Because... The answer to these two questions seems to be a moving target as life stage changes, as kids come into the picture, as um, all of these things begin to change. You're still asking that question, who am I and why am I here? And if you seem to grasp onto an answer, uh, just let a little time go by and that answer seems to sometimes slip through your fingertips. See, how you answer those two questions shapes your worldview. How you answer who am I and why am I here really determines how you live. It determines how you view many, many things. You see, those who struggle with fear, anxiety, and depression can be linked back to incorrectly answering these two questions. So so if you're incorrectly answering the question, who am I and why am I here, that can be linked to fear, anxiety, depression. So the person who says, who am I? Well, I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I have n- nothing to add. Why am I here? For no reason at all. See, that, that lends itself to fear, anxiety, depression. It's, it's the incorrect answer. It's arriving at the incorrect answer of who am I and why am I here? But those who find the true answer to these two questions, those are the ones who find deep meaning, truth, and joy. Who am I? And why am I here? Now, moving out of philosophy and into theology, let me just tell you, uh, God has not left us in the dark on answering those questions. We can know the answer to who am I and why am I here? You see, in the Old Testament scriptures, God began to whisper the answer to those two questions, who am I and why am I here? As you jump into Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way through uh, the minor prophets, the end of the Old Testament, um, we see types, shadows. We, we, we hear whispers and see glimmers of the answer to these two deep human fundamental questions, who am I and why am I here? And as it shifts gears into the New Testament, the 
answer to these two questions comes over the megaphone, comes through the loudspeakers with blaring clarity. We are told in giant block letters in the New Testament who we are and why we are here. We are image bearers of God. That is who we are as as humans, as people. Every single person um, in this room is an image bearer of God. That is who you are. That's who God made you to be. So often we um, attach our identity to so many other things. I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm I'm a business owner, I'm a this. And the reality of it is those are byproducts. That Those are secondary to the primary thing of who we are, which is image bearers of God. Um, And so we are like God in the sense that we share in his communicable attributes, okay? So so when I say we're like God, I don't mean that we're all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, uh, but I do mean that we share in his communicable attributes, meaning God is loving, therefore we can be loving. God is kind, therefore we can be kind. And we represent God, meaning uh, we are his ambassadors here on the earth, bringing in truth, peace, and justice to the world, So who are we? We are image bearers of God. What are we supposed to do? Serve him. Now here's the problem. The problem is that image has been broken. That image was broken. So Adam and Eve were the perfect image bearers. They were perfectly putting on display to the world who God was. Adam and Eve were perfectly um, perfect image bearers there and were perfectly representing God to his creation. But sin entered in and it distorted their image bearerness. There's a word for you. Write that down. Sin distorted how they bore the image of God to the world. That's that's the great problem. But here is the good news. Is it too early in the sermon for the gospel? Here is the good news. God sends his only son to restore that image back so that we can not be in this great identity crisis that we find ourselves in. You see, we keep trying to attach our identity to all of these other things. And when you define who you are incorrectly, then you are going to walk out who you are, what you do, incorrectly. But Jesus comes and dies on the cross to restore our image bearerness back to what it was supposed to be. He comes to show us what it is we're actually supposed to do. So I am an image bearer of God. So our identity became lost and therefore our purpose is lost, but God sends his son Jesus to reverse the curse and restore what was broken. Write this down. Jesus comes and shows us clearly, plainly, and unmistakably who he is so we can know who we are. Jesus puts on display uh, the full deity of God. He shows us that he is fully God, fully man. He shows us what he is like. Why does he do that? Well, he shows us that because if we don't know who God is, then we can't know who we are. Meaning if we're supposed to be bearing his image and we don't know who he is, then how can we bear his image? So so Jesus comes to put on full display who God is so that we can know who we are. And Jesus does this clearly, plainly. I mean, it is right there in black and white. Jesus shows us that he is God. And because he shows us who he is, we can know who we are. Identity restored. So again, write this down. Who am I? I am a restored image bearer of God. Why am I here? 
to serve God. Who am I? Why am I here? Boom. The, the two biggest questions humans have been asking since the beginning of time, Jesus shows up to clearly put on display that we are restored image bearers of God. And then Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, meaning serve me. Jesus says um, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. How do we love him? We love him through serving him. So who am I? I'm a restored image bearer of God. Why am I here? To serve God. Now, when I do that, when, when I walk in um, everything that I'm supposed to be as an image bearer of God, um, when I serve him with my whole life, watch this, God gets glory and we get joy. God is glorified when we say, you know what, my life is not my own. I'm going to give my life away to this God because he is worthy of my entire life. He is worthy um, for, for me to give God my marriage, to give God my children, to give God my finances. He is worthy of all of that. So when I do that, I am giving him glory. But in the same time, what happens to me in my personal life is I find deepness of joy in the fact that I have given God all of this stuff. I have given him everything, and, and whoever gives his life away finds his life in Christ. Okay, so that's it. That's the sermon. That, that's, that's, that's me done. What I have to do now uh, is show you that in the text, okay? So here's my goal today. Uh, I want you to see Jesus, I, I want to put on display what Jesus is putting on display in this text. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see Jesus for who he is, which is God. Because when you see him, you will see you. You will realize you exist to glorify him and you will find joy. I want us to shake off our identity crisis because unless Jesus restores me, I can never be what I am supposed to be. Now, here in this text is a very, very familiar scene, a very familiar picture. Those of us who were raised in the South, grew up in the church, we know this story. So by a show of hands, who has ever heard the story of Jesus walking on water? Okay, everyone. Now, here's the question. Why does Jesus walk on water? <laughs> right. So, 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 when, when we ask that question, because of our familiarity with the story, it's he walked on water because he did, right? Because that's what he did. That's why. Like, well, that's a terrible answer. You have to understand that he can uh, do whatever he likes in whatever way he likes. So he could have swam to them which again, we're going to find out this boat is in the middle of the storm. And so they're four miles, at least four miles offshore to swim four miles in a storm. That's pretty cool. Story could go that way. Uh, he could have just teleported right there. I mean, they could be in the boat rowing. Boom. Jesus just pops up. Hey guys, how's it going? That would have been pretty slick too. Uh, I mean, there are 101 different modes of transportation uh, that Jesus could have used to arrive here in the boat. So why does he walk? That's the question. That's what we must seek to answer today. So Jesus shows us he is God by doing things only God can do. That's the point of him walking on water is that only God can walk on water, 
He's so, so he's showing the disciples who he is by walking on the water. And, and, and throughout this gospel, as, as we've been walking through it and learning, uh, what we have seen is Jesus putting on display who he is. Just listen to this. In Mark 1, Jesus casts out a demon and heals Peter's mother-in-law, and he heals a leper. In Mark 2, he forgives the paralytic sins. Again, who only can forgive sins? Uh, in Mark 2, he forgives the paralytic sins, and he heals the guy. In Mark 3, he heals a man with a withered hand. In Mark 4, with a word, he calms a storm. In Mark 5, he heals a man with a demon, and then he heals a woman with a bleeding problem. And in Mark 5, he brings a dead girl back to life. In Mark 6, he feeds 5,000 people from a little boy's lunch. All of this showing that he has divine authority over Satan, demons, sickness, disease, life, death, and every corner of creation. Jesus is systematically putting on display his deity. That's why we have this account of him walking on water. Just look at uh, verse 53. I'm jumping right to the end of the text. I want to show you this. Why, when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and more to the shore. And when they had got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they, uh, wherever they heard he was. And whenever he came into the villages, cities, and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. This is a summary statement of Jesus' regular ministry, his regular goings about, that he was so powerful in his person, in his work, in his ministry, that all you had to do is simply touch Touch the fringe of his garment and you were healed. He's putting on display his divinity and his power. This is a summary statement. It doesn't even like it doesn't even go into exactly how many or who or whatever. Um, if you guys remember when we studied the Gospel of John, at the end of John, it says that if everything were written down about what Jesus did, the world could not contain the books. Jesus is step by step, piece by piece, through the loud megaphone speaker in giant block letters showing us he is God. That's what he's doing. So if we want to know why does Jesus walk on the water, it's because he is systematically showing us he's God. So, so as we look at this text, okay, Jesus walks on the water. I, I've preached this text before. I've preached it from different gospels. And, and listen, an application today can be this, okay? The application can be Jesus comes to you in the storms of your life. That, that, is, a, that is a proper application. But what's really happening in the text, the big idea in the text is that Jesus is showing the disciples who he is, namely God. Does he come to you in the storms of your life? Absolutely. But you need to see who he is so that you can know who you are, so that you can live out your purposes, which is to glorify him in return, which gives you deep joy. Got it? Okay, let's, let's jump in. Enough of me yammering on. Here we go. Mark 6, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowds. And after having taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. 
There is Mark's favorite word, immediately. This is our rapid pace, rapid fire gospel. It comes story after story after story without any breathing room. Uh, We know that he is saying immediately uh, because Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Okay, so this is 5,000 men plus women and children, 20,000, 15, 20,000, who knows. Um, He's fed a lot of people with a little boy's lunch. And then right after that's done with, um, he gets his disciples in the boat and sends them away. Now, um, I don't want to give Jesus ministry advice, uh, but it seems like Jesus could have capitalized on this a little bit. You know, uh, he preaches the sermon, he feeds everybody. You know, why not break them up into smaller groups and send the disciples out to minister to them? Uh, I mean, again, it's 20,000 people. Hey, man, take up an offering or something. Come on. Like, you got all these, do something here, man. But, but I mean, he's done, boom, in the boat. I mean, look, look, look at this. He made his disciples get into the boat. This made in the Greek is a forceful, it's, it's almost like you see Jesus, you know, like dragging them to the shore and gets them in the boat. And Jesus is shoving them off saying, now go to Bethsaida. Now go. He, he forcefully puts them in the boat. So the question is, why does he do that? Why does he uh, send them off? Again, this is in the Greek, a forceful meaning. You get the sense that uh, Jesus is shoving them off the shore and telling them to go. We get a better understanding of why Jesus is reacting this way uh, by understanding this from John's perspective. Okay, so if we jump to John chapter 6, 14 and 15, we'll get this idea here because what's happened at this point in the text is Jesus has fed the 5,000 and look what happens next. Look what John tells us. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The problem is no one understood the miracle. Jesus feeds the multitudes that they see how powerful this guy is. I mean, they see that people are getting healed. They see that he can feed them. They have been under Roman occupation, the, the Roman occupation who uh, you know, belittles their religion, who, who stifles their economic growth. You know, they're, they're tired of Roman rule. And so now they're looking around and there's like 20,000 people. There's this guy up front. Oh, and he's feeding everyone. So they, they got this big idea. Hey, I know. Let's go overthrow the Roman government, make Jesus our king, and we'll be set up for life. I mean, as a matter of fact, you remember when they come to arrest Jesus, the Roman soldiers come to arrest Jesus, and they say, hey, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And the whole Roman soldier guard falls flat on their backs. I mean, that's how powerful this guy is. And they realize that, and they're saying, hey, let's, let's forcibly take him and make him our king. You see, here's what they missed. This time around, Jesus does not come to be warrior king. 
This time around, Jesus comes to be servant king. Now, now when he comes back next time, I don't know if you've got read, read ahead yet or not in, in Revelation. When he comes back next time, he comes back to be warrior king who kills his enemies and feeds their bodies to the birds. But this go around, he is servant king to serve us so much that he goes all the way to the cross to die on the cross in our place for our sins so that we might gain back our identity as image bearers. So, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Many people lose the beauty of Jesus because they mistake the identity of Jesus. Jesus comes to put himself on display to, to show us who he is. And so many of us ignore what is clear in the scripture and create a Jesus of our own making. Um, Okay, so any students of history in the room, uh, if you've ever looked at any paintings of Jesus from the Renaissance period, you'll know what I'm talking about. White Jesus, okay? Blue eyes, you know, dressed in Renaissance clothing. You know, th this is their depiction of Jesus. They created a mold. They took Jesus from the scriptures and stuffed him into a mold that he shouldn't go in. Th this is why... Uh, uh, white supremacists will claim that they are Christians. They, they claim Christianity as their religion. Like, and that's, that's, ab that's insane to us. They, they see Jesus, um, many white supremacists see Jesus as the, the white savior who is fighting against the evil Jews. Which, which is insane, right? Uh, many people who practice Rastafarianism believe that Jesus was an African-American who used marijuana in his spiritual you know, travels and journeys. Again, they take a mold and, and stick Jesus in it instead of going to the scriptures and seeing who Jesus revealed himself to be. This is why many Republicans believe Jesus is a Republican. Democrats believe Jesus is a Democrat, right? And, and so th this, is, this is what we do. This is what we do. We miss the beauty of Jesus because we mistake the identity of Jesus. He, he reveals who he is in the scriptures and we say, no, no, Jesus probably looks more like me. Jesus probably thinks more like I think. Jesus views sexuality like I would view sexuality. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The truth is we must go to the scriptures and see him for who he is, not import our own identity. See, the truth is Jesus comes to break down racial, political, and economical barriers. He does it through the cross, the great equalizer. You see, at the cross, there are no Democrats, Republicans. There, there, there are no uh, you know, divides, racial divides at the cross. Why? Because everybody's a sinner. Right, everybody's a sinner and everybody needs grace. And so it is the great equalizer. Nobody gets to sit on a high horse and say, I'm better than anyone else because everybody's a sinner. Everybody's in need of grace. The cross is the great equalizer. Jesus comes to draw us together through revealing his true identity. Jot this down. Jesus shows us that he is the God who serves. He sends the disciples in the boat Get them out of here. They likely could have just gone along with the plot, right? That, I mean, maybe the disciples would have thought that was a good idea too, and Jesus didn't want them getting any bright ideas, so he sends them away because it's not time for Jesus to be warrior king yet. It's time for him to be servant king. He served us so much, he goes to the cross and dies in our place for our sins so that he gains back our identity, which is being image bearers of God. Now, 
look back at the text immediately. He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. I thought about that this week. It's just a passing thought. Uh, This is a total rabbit trail, so check out if you want to. He dismissed the crowd. 20,000 people who wanted to forcibly take him and make him king. He sends the disciples away and dismisses 20,000 people by himself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. So after he dismissed the crowd, uh, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. We see Jesus doing this um, periodically, several times throughout his ministry, pulling back, pulling away, going uh, by himself to pray. Here it does not record his prayer for us, but we see his prayers recorded in, in the other gospels to where um, he's praying. So, so what does Jesus pray for? Well, he prays for those whom are his. He prays for his disciples. Apparently at this point, his disciples still aren't getting it. it. It still hasn't sunk in for them. So you can imagine Jesus up on the mountain saying, Lord, please send your spirit to, to redeem and revive the hearts of these disciples. Lord, protect them from the evil one. You know, you can, you can see Jesus pleading and interceding for his disciples who are in great danger uh, from the evil one. Verse 47, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. Okay, this is Mark beginning to paint this ominous picture of the separation of where the disciples are and where Jesus is. He's up here, they're over here. We know that it's nighttime, so they are, it's dark. They're on the unpredictable, unforgiving sea and Jesus is far away. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making painful headway, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Okay? Um, They were making painful headway, is what the text says. So, puts them in the boat, you boys got to go, shoves the boat off, they start to row. Again, we know several of them were professional fishermen. Uh, These guys are rough, these guys are tough, these guys are rugged, um, but they're not like, you know, leisurely paddling, you know, the, the, these guys know what they're doing. This would have been a large vessel. Um, these guys know how to handle the ropes and the sails and, you know, but they know what they were doing, um, yet there is this massive wind that blows them uh, off course. Uh, in John's account of this same story, John tells us that they were three to four miles out into middle of the lake because of a strong wind that had blown them off course. So, so when Jesus calmed the storm, they were in such a way to where they thought they were going to die. Here, the picture is they're trying to get somewhere and the wind is blowing against them so hard that they just can't do it. I mean, they're, they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing, and yet they're stuck. 
I mean, the, the waves are coming up and crashing over the boat for sure because of the wind. It's a bad situation, but they're exhausted. They're frustrated. They're rowing. and ro- Jesus told us to go over there, yet we can't get over there. And they're rowing and rowing and nothing is happening. Nothing's happening. They're stuck. Look what happens next. Look at verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. Okay, now, where are the disciples? Think about this. They're three to four miles in the middle of a lake in a storm where visibility is very low. Where is Jesus? Up on top of a mountain. So how does he see them? <laughs> right? So, so you got to see like this is an incidental miracle. They're just kind of tossed in there that this is where these guys are. This is where he is. Yet he sees them. He sees them exactly where they are. Divinely, through his sovereign power, sees three to four miles away knows what they're experiencing, knows exactly what they are going through. You see, the incidental miracle of him seeing them out on the water four miles away is interesting, but here is what it means. Christ's focus is on those who are suffering because they have been obedient. Christ's focus is on them. He's thinking about them. Why are they in the middle of this situation? Because they obeyed Jesus, right? They're they're in the middle of this precarious situation where they're rowing and rowing and rowing, totally frustrated, totally upset, probably soaking wet, not getting to where they want to go precisely because they obeyed Jesus. Precisely because they obeyed Jesus. You see, jot this down. Jesus shows us he is the God who cares He's the God who cares because he doesn't just see them there, but he is about to go to them where they are. It would be amazing if God supernaturally saw them where they are. Like if Jesus is there on the mountaintop and he supernaturally sees them four miles offshore in the middle of a storm. He just sees that in his mind's eye or however divinely he sees it, but he sees it. Wow, that's pretty cool. But when you understand that not only did he see where they were, but he cared about where they were, that is what makes it fantastic. Both are true. Both are here. Jesus sees and he cares. Here's what I want you to know. Safety, security, wealth, and health are never promised when we follow Jesus. Period. Paragraph. But we are promised that he will never leave us, never forsake us, and he will use all of our suffering for our good. All of the frustration these guys are experiencing, all of the pain they are going through, rowing, trying to get to where they're going, but they can't get to where they're going. How does Jesus use this for their good and for their glory? Well, he puts on display a mighty showing of his divine power by walking on the water. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. So because of Mark's audience, he gives the Roman measurement of time. Here's what that means. Um, it's, it's anywhere from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So just think about it. If, if, they, if Jesus sent them off like early evening, right? They set out early evening. This means they've been out rowing for hours. 
rowing and rowing and rowing and not getting to where they are supposed to go. And it's the last watch or the fourth watch of the night. He came to them (laughs) walking on the sea. Now, uh, I want to just state for the record, I am not a sea expert. Okay, I can't even name all seven of them. Um, I'm not sure how the whole ecosystem in a sea works. Uh, I'm not even really sure of the technical difference between a sea and an ocean. Uh, if you know, later on you can tell me. But here's the one thing that I do know about the sea. You can't walk on it. That's the one thing I know about the sea. You can't walk on it. And Jesus comes walking on the sea. That's what the text says. He comes walking right along. You see, he was doing what only God can do. Only God can do such a thing as walk on the sea. Now, it's not actually included in this account, which is very interesting, but in Matthew's account, um, it's included the end, part, uh, the end part of the story where Peter stands up and, and he says, Lord, command me to come to you. And Peter actually gets out and walks on the sea. And how did that go for him? It didn't go too well for him, right? Because God is showing them something that only God can do. Maybe in hindsight, as Peter is helping Mark write this gospel account, uh, Peter says, nah, leave that out. <laughs> if, if, we're, if we're wishing well for Peter, maybe Peter's heart, again, was to make the focus on Christ and not, not on himself. He's putting on display something that only God can do. Only God can walk on water. Only God has complete control over all of his creation. Again, none of us in the room can decide tomorrow uh, we're tired of gravity. You know, it's, it's really putting a hamper on everything. So I'm just, I'm going to be done with gravity for today. And right, none of us can do that. God is show, by walking on top of the water, He's showing us he's God. Only God can do such a thing. Again, the text is clear. Um, This was not some type of optical illusion like he was walking on the shore and it just looked like he was walking on the water. Again, they're they're four miles out. He wasn't walking on a sandbar. Again, these guys know this sea very well. He was literally defying gravity and walking on top of the water. Now, this next uh, little phrase uh, has caused lots of confusion and consternation, but let us consider it uh, together. He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. All right, anybody got any guesses? Right, <laughs> you want? So, so I I thought about this and thought about this, and and it, it took a lot of homework. Okay, um, so he meant to pass by. This. So I guess option one would be. He changed his mind, right? He's up on top of the mountain. He's praying, Lord, help my disciples, uh, you know, protect them from the evil one, blah, blah, blah. Oh, man, they're in a lot of pain and struggle. And he goes down there, and he's walking by, and then he sees them in the boat, and he goes, nah, they got it. And he just wants to keep on going. Yeah, keep on rowing, boys. I'm, and he just, he meant to pass by. See you later. Well, I don't think that's it at all. I don't think... He meant to pass by them in the sense that he he meant to leave them struggling in the boat as he went on to the next destination to preach and teach. Absolutely not. We're we're actually given some insight in the Old Testament scriptures. Now, again, remember, 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 Jesus could have come to them 
in their time of distress in any way he wanted to. Any way he wanted. Jesus could have manifested a stretch limousine, okay, and drove it across the top of the water, opened up the doors, and piled them all in and drove to the next place if he wanted to because he's Jesus. But he chooses to walk on top of the water. Why? Job chapter 9. I'll start in verse 6. See if you see it. Who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble? Who commands the sun and it does not rise? Who seals up the stars? Who alone stretched out the heavens, listen, and trampled the waves of the sea? Who made the bear and Orion, the Pallades and the chambers of the south? Who does great things beyond searching out, and marvelous things beyond number. What's the answer there? Only God does that sort of thing. That's, that's what Job is saying. Job here is responding to his so-called friends who are questioning him. And, and so Job launches into this. Who, who sets up the sun and the stars? Like who, who stretches out? Who does all of these things? Who can trample on top of waves? Well, God can. And look at verse 11. Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that these are the things that only God can do. Only God can trample the waves. Jesus is showing the disciples the God whom Job could not see. Job, Job is saying, this is God. He's huge. He's, he's so big beyond anything we could ever imagine. He, he sets up the sun and the stars and the sea, and he commands all of these things, and he passes right by me, and I, I can't even see him. And Jesus says, I want to show these disciples whom the God that Job was longing to see. Job longed to see this God, and so Jesus puts him on display. Gospel Community Church, look upon this man, Jesus Christ, and see that he is fully God, fully man. Lay aside all atheism, lay aside all agnosticism, and see that the answer has been made clear to us in Jesus Christ. Now we can know who we are because we have seen who Jesus is. We are restored image bearers of God made to serve him. This is what Jesus is doing by walking on the water. Let's take a look at the conclusion. Do they see it? This is what Jesus puts on display before them. This is what Jesus does so that they can know him. Do they see it? And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They didn't see it. What did they see? A ghost. <laughs> they, they thought it was a ghost. Now, you got to cut these guys a little bit of slack, okay? Uh, you know, it, the, there's really no category in our minds for someone walking on the sea, right? If you were walking through the woods and all of a sudden, you know, a tree started walking with you and talking to you, how would you respond? Okay. There's just, there's no category in our minds to really understand this. 
Um, if, if, a, you know, if a friend came over to your house and, and there was a, a commercial on the TV where, where you know, some guy's selling coffee and your friend reaches into the TV and pulls out a cup and takes a sip, I mean, like, <laughs> there, there's just no category in our minds for such a thing. And so th- these guys in terror believe that they are seeing a ghost, but, but watch, even though they don't get it, right? They, they don't get it, um, and, and watch Jesus' reaction. Look, look back at the text. It says, he said, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. He, he comes to them, they're, they're losing their minds. These are like grown men, hardened fishermen, screaming out of their minds because they, they think they see a ghost, and Jesus tells them to take heart. Now, if I were Jesus, and everyone's glad I'm not, I would have said, are you guys kidding me right now? I mean, I wouldn't say take heart to them. I would say, are you guys kidding me right now? What are you guys doing out here? Rowing and rowing. Don't you know I'm the God who rules over storms? As a matter of fact, I've already done the storm thing for you guys. Why are they so freaked out? Why are they so frustrated? Why are they, I mean, he's, already, he's already calmed the storm, right? But, but there they are, rowing away, all frustrated. How many more signs do I have to do for you? But here's what we know. Jesus shows us he is a God of patience. Even though he's already calmed the storm for them before. Uh, even though he has already explained to them who he is, even though they've seen him bring dead people back to life, as we continue to read Mark time and time and time again, Jesus continues to show them and continues to tell them. Friends, if you're here this morning and you find yourselves struggling to obey um, can't find a consistent prayer life, struggle to read your Bible, you feel like... Uh, God's probably really grumpy at me because I'm kind of a terrible Christian, right? Anybody ever feel that way? Here's the good news. The good news is that God is a God of patience. He's so patient with us. He's so patient with these guys. He's going to give them way more signs. He's going to tell them the message so many more times. God is a God of patience. Now, Let me move on to the end. Here's what it says again. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. Here's what you need to know. Jesus shows us that he is the God who rules over our circumstances. There they are in the boat, freaked out, rowing, 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 rowing. They can't get anywhere. The wind is pressing against them. Jesus gets in the boat and the wind ceases. The wind stops. Because this sovereign God of the universe cares and he is in control of our circumstances. Listen, God has divine power, okay? And God divinely cares for you And so here's what that means. You have everything you need. Let that sink in. Stop and think about that. God has divine power, meaning he controls all circumstances. He's over all circumstances. Okay, that's that's good. But if you 
add that to a God who deeply cares about you, then that means you have everything you need. Goodbye to anxiety, right? Here's what happens next. For they did not understand about the loaves. When when Jesus fed the 5,000, you know, he fed all those people with the little boy's lunch. They they didn't get the significance of what he was doing. They, They didn't see that it was a sign pointing to something. They just saw, this guy can feed a lot of people. They didn't, get, they didn't get it about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. Is that you this morning? Have you heard and seen the display of God's glory time and time again, yet you have hardened your heart towards the message? I think this is a common thing in the South. I think this is a common thing as, as Christianity has spread and spread. People have heard this message. They've heard this story before. Yeah, you know, Jesus came, died on the cross. Yeah, we, we've heard all that. And, and they, they hardened their heart. The, these guys saw, literally saw Jesus do all of these things, yet they hardened their heart towards the reality of what it meant. I beg you, friends, don't harden your heart towards the display that Jesus puts on and the things that he shows us here in the scriptures. For those of us who have a soft heart this morning, listen to this. Here is my call to you. See who Jesus is so you can see who you are, a restored image bearer made to serve him so he can get glory and you can find real joy. That's it. Why does Jesus walk on the water? He walks on the water to show he is God, to show he's divine. Why is he showing us who he is? He's showing us who he is so that we can know who we are, his image bearers. He dies on the cross to restore us as image bearers so that we can do what we're created to do, which is to serve him. And when we serve him, guess what? He gets glory and we get joy. Friends, I, I want that for you so bad, and I want that for me. I want that deep joy with com- that comes with knowing who we really are and doing what we're really supposed to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this great display of your power. Thank you for this great display of walking on water, doing what only God can do, trampling the waves under your feet and showing us all the God whom Job wanted to see. Lord, I pray this morning that that's what would happen. We would see you. Lord, because when we really see you, our hearts are captivated and they're moved to worship. And so send your spirit now in a mighty and powerful way upon this church body to do works that only you can do. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.